Welcome, welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show today. We have a very special guest, Sir Bob, Sir Bob Charles. How do you, how do you, what do you, how do you like to have people refer to you? Just plain old Bob. Just, <laughs> I'm, I'm still Bob. Yeah, um, I, I started out as Robert, of course, uh, Robert James Charles, and uh, it. Uh, if you look in some of the ancient um, golfing records, it was R.J. Charles. Okay. And uh, then it became Bob, and the only person that called me Robert was my mother. So everybody else calls me Bob, which I respond to um, in various ways, <laughs> <laughs> depending on how they say. Exactly. Yes. What uh, are you the best golfer in New Zealand? Well, my record would suggest that. Um, certainly not <laughs> presently. I'd be, I'd be if I was, I'd be out there playing. But uh, <laughs> no, I well, yesterday uh, I had my 50, 60 years of uh, competition um, and uh, enjoyed a lot of success along the way. And uh, uh, I am just a social golfer now and. Only fit to play on par three courses. <laughs> where where uh, you played yesterday, I was I was in a group. I think a, a couple of holes in front of you, so I was already off the course when you uh, finished off the ninth hole with a uh, what do you call them down here? Hole in one ace. What do you call it? Uh, a hole in one rather than an ace. I think an ace is more of an Americanism than than, than yeah. It's just a hole in one. Mm. Oh, I didn't realize that that hole in one, that an ace is sort of a because we yeah. we have a thing where you know we go around filming golf all over the world and so mm. every time we're on a par three we film it mm-hmm. and we call it the ace cam. Oh. Um, and and in some ways, you know, I don't know if yesterday's success on your mm. on, on your ninth hole if that counts but we saw it we have some video from the party mm. last night mm. where we uh, where we met originally but congratulations well, well thank you it certainly counts in my uh in the number of holes in one i've had um they've in various places around the world south africa and um united states of course great britain um new zealand uh, australia was also so um uh, i've had 12 um I used to say that uh, <clears throat> eleven of them. Um, well, one one was lucky, and I had eleven uh, holes in one, and one was lucky. But now I can say that twelve of them, all twelve of them, are lucky. <laughs> you uh, tell me. I mean, what what do people ask you about the most when they meet you? What do they ask me the most? Uh, well, it depends what they're talking about interested in um uh from a golfing perspective they would um uh probably ask me about my being a left-handed golfer and the interesting thing there is that i'm right-handed i'm right-eyed i'm right-footed i don't do anything with my left side left eye or left foot uh i'm right side dominant in fact, I think it works as an advantage um, standing. I, I uh, relate my um, golf to being a backhander rather than a left-hander because I, uh, I wear a right-handed glove. I stand on the right side of the ball. I hit the, the ball on the right side of the, the club head face. Right. And I hit the ball to my right. So why am I called a left-hander? I've never been able to figure that out. And with anything with two hands, I put the left hand below the right. And and uh, firing a rifle, I, I put the left below the right and look, uh, sight it with my right eye. Um, with I pick up an axe, a spade, a rake, uh, a bow and arrow, pull cue, I always extend my left hand below the right. And I could not possibly extend my right hand below my left uh which a right-handed to me i see a a right-handed golfer wears a left-handed glove they stand on the left side of the ball they hit the ball on the left side of the club face they hit it to their left and i don't i don't understand why they are right-handed and i'm left-handed because i'm the exact opposite that is in, I've heard a lot of things mm. on the podcast that could be the thing that has really blown my mind the most. And mm. I may now know why I'm why I'm not as good at golf as I want to be <laughs> is because I'm actually a lefty. 
Well, uh, related to padding, uh, I feel that um, my right dominant, I have right eye dominant, that's my strong eye, so I'm always looking to my right. And as far as padding goes, I'm lining it, lining it up and looking to my right. So I believe that uh, most, all the, the great padders of the past, and maybe even the present for that matter, um, if uh, I think Phil Mickelson would probably be right-eyed, and I would, uh, I know for a fact that uh, Bobby Locke, I'm pretty sure Bobby Locke, who was certainly the greatest putter of my lifetime, uh, I believe he was left-eyed, and uh, he had a, a serious accident and later, well, later after he'd finished playing and. Uh, he had great difficulty. Uh, he got an eye injury, and uh, it affected his putting. So I think it's important for your, uh, if you're a right-hander, right-handed golfer, so-called right-handed golfer, uh, it would be preferable to be strong left-eyed, uh, and you strong left side with everything, for that matter. And if you're like myself and Phil Mickelson, it would be advantageous to be uh, strong uh, right-eye dominant. Uh, but you're not just a left-handed golfer. You're the first left-handed golfer to mm. do two things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you know what they are. To do two things. Uh, win a PGA Tour event yeah. and win a major. Uh, well, that's 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 correct, yes. On the tour, I, I uh, won Houston. Uh, and the same year, I won the Open Championship at Lytham and St. Anne. So... Uh, um, yes, I've ever since I've been carrying the, the banner for uh, so-called left-handed golfers. Um, uh, but uh, now, of course, uh, Mickelson uh, holds that. Um, he's the, uh, how many majors has he won now? I, I can't recall off the top of my head. But, uh, of course, left-handed golfers have, uh, well, we've had uh, the Canadian and um uh, we've got four, I think, left-handers have won one majors. But uh, yes, I was I was the the first to achieve it and uh, uh, prove that it 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 doesn't matter too much which side of the ball you stand on. It, I I did, and and that's a que- you asked the question of what people ask me, and uh, they ask uh, a question: uh, Were or are you at a disadvantage? Um, uh, playing golf courses and I say no uh, with possibly one great exception um, being the Augusta National uh, where the majority of the holes go from right to left uh, and that's another reason perhaps why Lee Trevino never won the Masters uh, because he was a left to right player as I was uh, I was also a left to right player which uh, doesn't help you round Augusta very much, but um, uh, the the setup of pin positions are generally some on the left, some on the right, back, front, and that. So that side of it evens itself out. So there's, there's no disadvantage um, standing on the right side of the ball like I do. <laughs> Uh, did you when when in 1963 right is the year you won in Houston mm-hmm. and the Open in England. Uh, was the news that came out was it predominantly centered around uh, being lefty when when you when you won i mean this must be yeah. a huge cuz cuz mm. the in houston it's right before the open am i right it was a month or so a month before prior. the open yes mm-hmm. so here you go boom boom mm. and i mean mm. it, it, it what, what was all that it must have been a crazy time mm. of your life how old were you at that time uh 63 i was um what 27 yeah. wow mm. 27. Oh, where am I? 36, 36 to uh, 63 is... Uh, you were 36, so you're 29. Yeah, 29. 29. Sorry, so, my arithmetic's rotten. <laughs> so, or no, not 29, no, 24. No, I turned pro when I was 24 in 1960, so I was 27. Yes. 27. Mm. We are not mathematicians, Bob, <laughs> but, but we did get the right answer. Mm. So 27 years old, you win once, you come back a couple weeks later, you win on another continent, you win a major. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the news like? What is the experience like? Well, I, Houston really gave me the confidence to perform well in the Open. Is that what qualified um, you to get into the Open or were you already in? 
No, I had to qualify. That in was your qualifier. In those days, everybody had to qualify. Oh, there was even, no exemption. Even the uh, defending champion had to qualify. No. Uh, well, it's a bit hazy, but I know in uh, 61 to Arnold, Arnold won in both those years. No, he won. Um, and I know he had to qualify. You're probably uh, right. I do, I do not know. I am, yeah, I know I qualified in 62 the year before uh, at uh, Troon when, when Arnold won. Uh, 63, I've got a feeling I did have to qualify, but it was right around about that time where they um, exempted certainly the defending champion and then they started giving further exemptions as well for some of the leading money winners. But getting back to um, uh, the... Um, uh, where am I? The, 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 the media the, the, sort of the, 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 it, world. Yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say, no, the, winning Houston uh, filled me with a lot of confidence and belief in my game. And uh, so I arrived at Lithamson Ends um, uh, with my game uh, is, is perhaps as good as it gets. And I, um, well, I felt that Probably there was only Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, Peter Thompson, and maybe Kel Nagel. Just a handful of players to beat. And um, uh, so I was had a great week. Um, putting was exceptional. Um, and of course, as you are probably aware, that uh, the... Um, Jack, well, Jack Nicklaus will say that that was the the open which he uh, let slip. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he was leading um, with, let's see, let's say four holes to go. Um, he, we, Phil Rogers and I, who were playing together in the final group, we watched Jack uh, approach the 17th green, which is near the uh, 16th tee. Uh, he missed the green, and uh, we didn't know that he bogeyed 17 and also bogeyed 18. And, of course, we both birdied 16 to um, get in front, and we both parred the last two. But um, um, it was... Um, and, then, and, of course, we entered into a 36-hole playoff the following day. I heard that. Why 36? Was that just the format? Well, what you must also remember is that uh, we started on a Wednesday. The first round was on a Wednesday. The second round was on a Thursday. And you played 36 holes on the Friday. Uh, that was standard. That was the way it was uh, back in the 60s, 50s, 60s. And um, so that was a 36-hole playoff, which was on the Saturday the following day. So we actually had to play 72 holes in two days. <laughs> And I was uh, pretty fit in those days, slim and trim. And Phil Rogers was uh, perhaps not quite as fit, and he certainly wasn't as trim. Uh, he was uh, kind of a sh shortish, roly-poly, burly uh, uh, guy. And um, I outlasted him by, what, I think eight strokes in the in a 36-hole final. So uh, uh, that was the... And I said as much at the prize-giving that uh, it, it was had become too much of an, an endurance contest. And uh, the RNA, um, that was the last time they played a 36-hole final because there had been numerous 36-hole playoffs uh, in the past. Yeah, now so it's my, three holes. Um, Phil Rogers and, and, um, and my playoff was the last of um, 36, yeah. What do you think? For me, a playoff is, I think, all I want to see in golf especially mm. major championship mm. golf. Mm -hmm. I love when it comes mm. down to it. Mm. I um, I think that it's so reasonable that 150 players would end up with the same score or 75, mm. however you want to think of it. Mm. Well, you know, and then they took, I think even the open isn't, it was three holes last time they had one, but I think they changed that even, didn't they? The open championship? Yeah. Is it still uh, three? No, they brought it to four holes. Four. They from, um, well, it after the 36 hole playoff, which, I managed to win. They brought it down to 18 holes playoff, 
and I know at uh, Troon there was a four-man, four four-hole playoff. Uh, of course, St Andrews, um, that lends itself to a four-hole playoff where they play 1, 2, 17 and 18. So it's, uh, uh, I think it's still a four-hole playoff at the Open Championship. Okay. And uh, the, of course, the US Open was 18 holes up until I think this, they've now changed it to, yeah. uh, is it a two-hole uh, and then sudden death? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I just think that, how does that change when your experience of, well, I guess when you're playing 36-hole aggregate, mm. I mean, it's easy at that point. I mean, when did you know you had it? The playoff? Yeah. Um, when did you know that the that well, the Claret jug was I, yours? I did build up, and um, I don't know what my lead was after eighteen holes, uh, certainly, but uh, probably early into the uh, the second eighteen, um, I had a quite a healthy lead, I think, and uh, uh, that's you know back in '63. The I have just a few memories of it, not not uh, the um, in fact, I, I know I hit it out of bounds. I on, on, on one of the uh, Lytham is has the railway line on the right hand side on what one, two, three, and then uh, eight and nine. So um, I think I went out of bounds on two or three, but um, and I'm not sure it was in the playoff or, or not. But um, um, no, it. it uh, was um, my uh, day of week or day and of uh, glory and uh, it's uh, certainly um, having one one major I'm very proud of that because there have been a lot of great golfers come along who've never won a major and uh, the, the two that come to mind are Bruce Crampton and um, Doug Sanders hmm. Of course, Doug had um, what a putt of three feet to win at St Andrews, and uh, it's hard, hard to watch that one. And I think, yeah, they entered into an 18-hole playoff um, before Jack um, won that. And of course, Crampton finished second to Jack Nicklaus on four or five occasions, I think, in majors. So, wow. Uh, you had runner-ups yeah. at the U.S. Open, and uh, no, I, I had two thirds in the U.S. Third. Open. Now, nineteen sixty-four, Ken Venturi. Um, uh, that was quite a dramatic Open where they had a doctor. That was thirty-six holes in Washington at ah. uh, Congressional, and uh, he became dehydrated and kind of uh, well, he was sucking on salt tablets uh, throughout the final round. Uh, he won comfortably, uh, Venturi won comfortably, and um, Tommy Jacobs was second, and I bogeyed the the last hole um, and finished third. I would have tied for second if I'd parred the last oh. hole. And then Tony, when Tony Jacklin won at Hazeltine, um, I shot a 67 in the final round to finish third there, uh, behind Dave Hill. I gotta tell you, I am just, I'm really, I'm really uh, grateful that you agreed to do this and, mm. and came out, and I'm just honored, really yeah, honored. Yeah. Well, nice to have a chat. Um, yeah, and I have many more questions. Though, are you good? Do you yeah, need any no. coffee or water? No, or no, you, you okay. keep, a snack, keep going. Keep a burrito. Going. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I, I know that you haven't taken many lessons, and, and we'll get into that. But I'm mm. curious to know. You, you, I heard you say that you talked to Ledbetter about the mental game. Oh, um, yes, man. What do you think? I mean, you've experienced. It sounds like every side of golf, hmm. um, and and especially you've you've been uh, present in the game of golf at a, at a time of at, at many different times, right? Hmm. Of transition and change, and Tiger and clubs, and mm-hmm. you know, just even the way golf is played for professionals has changed hmm. so much. What do you see as the hardest part of the game of golf? For who? <laughs> <laughs> for somebody starting out for somebody who's uh, experienced well, or I'm curious uh, to know as many answers as you can come up with for that the hardest part of, of golf is uh, well go- golf is I like to simplify everything um, you know I'm a 
moderation is my motto um, and I don't have highs and lows I'd, I'd just like to you know keep going uh, in a, a certain um, speed um, but golf I think people tend to complicate the game and um, I think if they uh, just think that um, and, and my thoughts and, and advice really is uh, all you got to do is hit the fairways, you hit the greens and you hold the putts and, and, uh, and just think about that rather than once you start thinking about swing, getting swing thoughts and uh, uh, that's all on the practice tee. When you get on the first tee, you've got to forget, put your what, well, I should say you put your um, um, backside into gear and your and your mind in uh, in neutral. Uh, so um, uh, no, it's um, uh, I golf. I well, I'm, I'm the other thing about myself is that that I. Uh, call myself a, a country bumpkin as opposed to a city slicker and I was brought up in the country town and started on a country golf course where sheep were grazing fence greens and uh, uh, so I've seen golf you know from all kinds of um, as you just said from um, from an early age I was um, uh, playing the game uh, with hickory shafted clubs. Is that because that's all that was available? No, steel shafts were available. I, st I started uh, basically during the Second World War when golf balls were was a shortage. And in fact, my parents who were keen golfers, they um, uh, rather, you couldn't buy new golf balls, so you you actually painted old balls to keep them white, so that you could <laughs> at least find them. Um, but um, uh, no, it uh, hickory and and I um, played a lot with my parents, um, who my mother started out as a right-handed golfer, and my father uh, was a. Um, he was like me. He's uh, right side dominant, uh, right eye. He he was good at all ball sports and uh, played a lot of cricket, um, where he's bowled with the right hand and like baseball. You, you know what cricket is. Sure, <laughs> sure. Seen. Yeah. But uh, so he was a left-handed batsman and stood on the uh, stood on the right side of the wicket, whereas a uh, you know a right-hander stands on the left side of the wicket. So. Uh, you can relate that to baseball, obviously, and, and uh, uh, if I was to pitch in baseball, I'd obviously pitch with my right hand. Also, uh, well, now we're on that vein. Um, I uh, played a lot of tennis in my youth uh, when I was about 12 years age. Uh, 12 years of age, I, I was uh, virtually lived on a go on a tennis court rather than a golf course. And I uh, had cousins to play with, and uh, of course, I'm a right-handed um, tennis player and I was never a double-handed uh, backhand player I just you know the classic style is is uh, single one hand forehand one hand backhand but what intrigues me is how all these right-handed tennis players use a double-handed backhand and that's in actual fact what I'm doing in golf. I'm playing a double-handed backhand, right. as as all these tennis players uh, do. You know, they put the left hand below the right and and double-handed backhand. Yeah, the single-handed backhand so, is very hard. So I never had a, a lesson as a um, from a professional starting out. I picked up uh, the game playing and watching my parents I suppose um, oh I, I mentioned my mother started out as a, as a right-hander uh, and my, I guess my dad converted her to playing the golf uh, standing on the right side or left it so-called left-handed uh, so um, what was I going to say about the um, uh, well yeah, I did. I've never had uh, lessons. I, I, the courses which I played in the early days uh, didn't have professionals, 
And when we did get a professional at the Marston Golf Club, uh, by then I was um, a much better, much better player uh, than the, the local professional. So, you know, I didn't, wasn't very uh, open to advice from him. And uh, the only uh, two professionals that I've sought advice from were, were uh, Bob Toskey uh, and uh, David Ledbetter. And um, their advice was... Um, was good at the time I went and saw Bob Toskey I was hooking the ball and an uncontrollable hook like like Hogan had in, in his uh, early career and uh, uh, Toskey uh, gave me a quick lesson and latched onto the problem right away and I was gripping the club too tightly and uh, that was the result was a hook and uh, David Ledbetter, I uh, made an appointment to see him at, uh, where is he, Greenleaf in Orlando, I think. Uh, yeah. And uh, I had my clubs with me and expected to uh, go out and hit a few balls. We never got that far. We never got past his office. We just discussed the, the mental side of the game. And uh, uh, the interesting thing there is after an hour, um, that was all he allowed me, I suppose. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the for the account, <laughs> but uh, I went out the following week to Tallahassee and won the tournament, um, which was on on the second tour in the states. So, uh, so his advice has stayed with me and uh, was well meaning. So, he didn't try. Well, I did make a swing change there, I, I, and it must have come up in the in the conversation with him. I I flattened my swing somewhat, and uh, so all I concentrated on that week at Tallahassee was uh, flattening the swing and the ball striking was good and of course uh, I hold a well what was it a, at least a 60 foot putt to uh, uh, win a playoff wow hmm. another playoff yes hmm. what um, aside from uh, flattening the swing what did you and Ledbetter discuss that you remember from you know the mental side of the game well, I suppose the the positive side of you know just believe you don't, as I said earlier, you 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 don't have swing thoughts. Well, on the range practice tee, you can have half a dozen swing thoughts. You can concentrate, but by the time you get to the first tee, you uh, should nail it down to maybe one swing thought, which which as I say was flatten the swing a little bit. Uh, but I uh, tempo is important. I think uh, for me, um, a slow takeaway is is very important. Um, um, when when I start swinging quickly, um, things start to go wrong. Um, so I, I think it's important for most golfers to have s some uh, swing thought, hmm. um, along with. You know, focusing on on uh, what where the ball where you want the ball to go. What what's uh, what's been your predominant swing thought? I suppose um, tempo. Tempo. Yeah, yeah. See, I was never never uh, a big hitter. Um, I was always in the bottom. Well, you might say quarter as far as distance goes, and, and statistics. You, you can look at the statistics over my career, and uh, I was uh, never in the top half, and certainly in the bottom half. And I was in the in the bottom half of the bottom half as far <laughs> as distance goes off the tee. Um, and uh, I was always trying, obviously, to achieve distance. And of course, the first thing you do is to swing harder and faster, and uh, and that gets a long way away from tempo right hmm. you you must have seen you know i'm gonna take a quick break uh to go sure. to a quick commercial we'll be right back all right precision pro everybody a lot of you slip into the dms over there and you ask me what the best rangefinder is the answer is it's the precision pro now i used to say it was the nx7 but not anymore Precision Pro Golf is the makers of award-winning golf rangefinders. Literally award-winning, folks. Do not get the words twisted, okay? Uh, they save golfer strokes on the course and save dollars in the wallets. Because the truth is the dollars should stay in the wallets. Well, I guess they're supposed to leave the wallet. But the point is you want them to leave as slowly as possible. So the point is Precision Pro is excited to announce the all-new 
NX9. We didn't even mess with the NX8. We went straight to the 9, NX9 HD rangefinder, skipped the 8, straight over to the 9. I went from par to eagle like that, okay? Anyway, it's their most advanced rangefinder ever with a wider and brighter display. I love things that are wider and brighter. It's an iPhone screen, whatever you want to call it, projector. I don't know, fairways. Just give me something that's wider and brighter. It delivers incredibly fast measurements. I can say from personal experience, that is true. There's also a built-in magnet. Oh, I love magnets too. uh, That allows golfers to securely attach the NX9 to the cart or even an iron so that the rangefinder is always within reach for every single swing. You can pick up the all-new NX9 HD rangefinder for $20 off. All you got to do is use the promo code ERIC. That's E-R-I-K on the website, precisionprogolf.com. The NX9 HD comes with a lifetime battery replacement. Whoa! I need lifetime battery replacement. How as annoying is it when you show up and your rangefinder's dead? Well, this one never dies, okay? It's like Liam Neeson in this bitch. Sorry, I didn't mean to curse. But anyway... <laughs> The NX9 comes with a HD lifetime battery replacement services and a wow, I messed that up. I'm going to start over. <laughs> the NX9 HD comes with a lifetime battery services replacement, battery replacement services and a 2-year warranty. 2 years. You're not even going to live that long. This rangefinder is going to outlive you on all scales. Anyway, it's the NX9, and it's all part of the industry-leading customer service that Precision Pro Golf delivers to every customer. I have never heard a bad word about Precision Pro since I've been recommending it personally. So you heard it here first, folks. Get your $20 off the NX9 HD or any Precision Pro uh, rangefinder that's great. Coupon code ERIC, E-R-I-K, at PrecisionProGolf.com. Last words, y'all. Swing with confidence. Hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. All right. One more read, folks. Adidas. Over 5 million pieces of plastic are floating in our oceans, which over time get broken down, making it easy for sea life to ingest, ultimately affecting our own food chain. So it is your problem. It's not just a world problem. It's you. It affects you. Adidas is working with Parlay to prevent plastic entering our oceans and transform it into high-performance sportswear. Mm-hmm. Shoes is coming soon. Just hold on. Hold your hats, folks. I'm not even done with the ad. Stop trying to figure out what I'm going to say. Adidas is spinning the problem into what? A solution. The thread into a thread. I don't know what that means. It's written here. It says the thread into a thread. I don't know who wrote this. Adidas Golf is bringing eco-innovation to the golf course in the form of a special edition shoe. All right, this is legit, actually. This is the first time the Parlay shoe has been uh, a golf shoe. I've had it in... um, form of a running shoe. I mean, look, it's a it's a sick shoe that serves a purpose, okay? That's where you get it. Um, the Tour 360 XT Parlay, the first ever golf shoe. Oh, look, they already wrote it for me. The first ever golf shoe made from pla- uh, recycled. Oh, no, it's not called recycled. It's called upcycled. I don't know what that is. I feel like I should probably Google that. Upcycled plastic waste that was intercepted like Jason Bourne from the Beaches and coastal communities before reaching the ocean. Dang, I didn't realize this is Jason Bourne's golf shoe. Intercepted. I mean, I'm the golf guy, but I also love football. Who doesn't love a classic interception? Especially when it's Jason Bourne saving planet Earth. Entire upper of the shoe is made with threads spun... Also a DJ. Amazing. From the upcycled plastic waste. My phone's ringing. It's Andrew Marler. Hang on. All right. Well, that was a 20-minute phone call, but you have no idea. It just went by like that. Um, Anyway, the Tour 360 XT Parlay, the first ever golf shoe made from upcycled plastic. I already read this because it's got the intercepted line. Intercepted from beaches and coastal communities in a world before reaching the ocean. The entire upper of the shoe is made from thread spun from upcycled plastic waste. Built is built as the Tour 360 XT, you still get great traction and stability. I feel like what's that line from Taken? I have a certain set of skills. 
they will take you. Available starting June 10th at adidas.com. And for those headed to the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, a select number of pairs will be sold on site. Get into it, folks. All right, back to the show. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. So you, you uh, Sir Bob, you must have seen just so much in golf right as far as change hmm. where are you at with where golf is at right now um are you I'm, we're rolling yeah i'm very concerned and the concern i have is the distance the ball is going in fact uh, what these guys are hitting now are rockets rather than golf balls they're just putting it into orbit uh in in my day throughout my career jack nicholas was number one in distance and his average tee shot was 275 yards um mine was about 245 so he was 30 yards in front of me on every tee shot um he beat me more times than i beat him but i won the canadian open the the and, and the uh the open championship at, at his expense uh both of those events um so no it's it's frightening to me and the the thing is that the average golfer does not relate to uh, to 320 30 40 50 yard tee shots and i think that the powers that be rna and the usga have got to consider harnessing the distance the ball goes um, I, um, um, and I'm not alone in that. I, I think that, um, that the ball should, what it does, it, it makes a lot of the great courses of the past, like Marion, for example, uh, to agree also St. Andrews, it, it makes them obsolete. And, mm. and, uh, um that is a is a concern i'd like to think the open should still go back to a a course like marion and um uh, st andrews have when i went to st andrews in 1958 to play in the british amateur uh the course was six thousand it was six thousand eight hundred or thereabouts anyway um every tee was right beside the green right you walked off the green you didn't have to walk five ten yards uh from the edge of the green to the next tee now you've got to walk 50 60 yards further back and what does this do to the game it takes more time yeah and uh when i back at st andrews uh, they had course marshals and if you didn't get around and Certainly, they were looking at three-hour rounds and certainly three-and-a-half maximum. I mean, now we're looking at four to four-and-a-half hours. So, um, And people these days don't have the time to spend four-and-a-half. I've watched the ladies' tour. They're spending over five hours on the golf course. It's which crazy. Is, it's, it's not a good example to the, to the game. No. So it, it is a concern, and, and I know they're looking at it, looking at uh, the possibility of reducing the performance of the ball. And, uh, and I think that uh, Jack Nicholas and Gary Player, good, good friends of mine, would, would be saying the same thing, that uh, they've got to stop these 320, 30, 40, 50-yard tee shots. How, uh, I wanted to ask you earlier when we were talking about the lefty uh, you mm. know, mm. position that you... Uh, said that you held for so long and now phil has it have you and he ever talked no you haven't no i've never played with uh, phil um i've um, stood on the range and watched uh in arizona phoenix uh, he went to he went to college there i think yeah, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you didn't I watch him hitting balls and um i've hardly spoken to him since mm. you could have easily just said what, what would you have said you said i'm the original lefty <laughs> <laughs> yeah no no, well, he um, um, no, he he's had a tremendous career and still, what is he, forty eight or thereabouts, still yeah. won a tournament. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, did he eclipse Julius Boris's? Uh, 
I don't. Oh no, Boris was a major, wasn't it? Uh, he's the oldest major tournament winner. Yeah, forty eighty one PGA and um, down in San Antonio. Mm. Right. Um, how do you see? You know, you played. I'm assuming all over the world, every continent. What have you learned about the world from from traveling and playing golf? Uh, what have I learned? Well, it's uh, yeah, it opens your eyes, and uh, you see how a lot of other people live. And um, I, um, 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 you know, there are some places I've been to I don't particularly want to go back to. And um, I love Lynx golf, of course, um, and I have a wish list of uh, certainly courses in the United Kingdom and. Most of them are uh, lynx courses with the absence of trees. And um, uh, although Woodall Spa, I'm looking forward to hoping to go to Woodall Spa. And um, when I go back there, I, I spend two months of the year and, and uh, my daughter lives in London. And so we, my wife and I go and uh, visit her and I take my golf clubs. And another course, which I've read a lot about, a lot of history, is Rye. Rye, which is down on the south coast, which is a Lynx. Uh, these are both in England? That. Yes. I haven't heard of either of these. Woodall Spire? Spa. S-P-A-R. Spa. S-P-A-R. Woodall, Wood, Wood, Wood Hall. W-O-D-H-A-L-L. Woodall sure. Spa. Mm. And, and Rye, are they... Rye, Rye is old. As it's you know, well over 100 years old, and um, they have the... Uh, what do they have? They, well, they have Oxford and Cambridge uh, vents there, and uh, uh, I think um, right in the middle of winter, there's early in the new year, they play. Uh, the, is it the President's Putter or, or some event like that? But um, uh, a lot of history down there. Mm. What do you What do you look for in a course when you're when you're traveling? You say you know you like links golf. What are you looking for? Well, right now I'm looking for the for the short tees. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you see, I, I uh, my club head speed is only ninety mile an hour. And uh, what do you What do you What's in the bag? What's What is the survival's bag? What do you What well, clubs do you play? A Titleist. Yeah. And, fact, they, did you work with them back back then? No, 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 no. I've I've been with from Dunlop to McGregor, Wilson, Spalding, Callaway. I was with an, uh, with Callaway for a number of years, and in fact, I could, might probably still be with if Ely if Ely was still alive. Uh, we had a great uh, relationship. Uh, if he was still alive, I'd probably still. Uh, in fact, my my cottage here at uh, at Millbrook, I call Callaway Cottage. <laughs> uh, but since they, um, I left them, and well, he left this world, and, and I, I left Callaway shortly after. I've been with Titleist uh, for a number of years now, and in fact, I'm going when we leave here. I'm going down there to get a new shaft and a driver. The the boys are waiting for me there to um, um, reshaft a driver for me, um, and. Uh, I, um, as I say, I'm struggling for distance off the tee, 90 mile an hour. It's a, well, I think uh, on the track man, it'll, it hits at about 210 to 15 yards. So that's, yeah. that's, uh, uh, that's why I'm envious of these 300 yard guys putting the ball into orbit. Hmm. But, you, uh, but you have the distinction of in professional play, you have shot your age, you beat hmm. your age. By 10 shots, uh, played a, a tournament at the age of um, uh, 76, uh, shot a 66 at uh, Badrigat, which was a, an official senior tour event, a European uh, senior tour event, and in fact I was playing with Gary Player, uh, my good friend, and Morris Bembridge, Ryder Cup player. And uh, I felt like King Kong shooting 66 in, in front of those guys. What did uh, what did players say to you after the round? Well, I think he was quite impressed. And but but he's also uh, regularly shooting better than his age. But I don't think he's better than his age by 10 shots. You'd have to check with him. That's that's quite a lot. It's quite a lot. <laughs> yes. Um, I've definitely heard you uh, comment on. Well, you know, I mean, we, you know, we did talk about the the flight of the ball and the distance of all of that. But I'm curious to know you you you've witnessed uh, another world change in golf, perhaps, which is 
perhaps the game is becoming more and more accessible to people who are new to the game, who don't, who don't know about golf. Mm. Um, have you experienced that? or, or and, and what have you seen change in sort of the perspective on the, the world of the golfer, the stereotypical golfer? Well, the as we all know, the average age at a at a golf club is is uh, well for men uh, is getting high into the sixties, and we've got to do something about that to to lower it, uh, get it in, into the fifties. And of course, the best place to start is at the grassroots, the young children. Uh, I, I think that uh, that's where the future of of the game lies is is the children of today. It certainly doesn't lie with um, these guys hitting the ball 350 yards. Um, so uh, I, I think the courses, as a result of this incredible distance that these the golf ball is going and performing, courses are getting longer. And, and well, there's three things hurting the game, in my opinion. One is the cost. The cost of the, cost of the game is spiraling. Not much you can do about that um, unless you can get second-hand equipment. Uh, the second thing is um, time, the time it takes to play a round of golf, and, that, and that's a, a result of lengthening golf courses. And also uh, people not playing... Uh, tees which uh, complement their game and the distance they hit the ball, their swing speed and the distance they hit the ball. Um, and the third thing, of course, the game is too hard. And of course, too hard is a, a result of a combination of, of um, longer golf courses, longer tees and people not using the correct tees for their game. So um, I would... Um, I use, I play a yardage at a, well, I look at a card when I look at a card and I see the black tees of 7,200 and the blues of 6,800. Uh, I'm looking at tees for my game uh, between 6,300 and 6,000, say. And I think a lot of people... Uh, the egos, they get carried away with the egos on um, the average male certainly does, perhaps not so much the females, but uh, they lose sight of the fact that if you can't reach a par four and two, you're on the wrong tees. If you can't reach a par three and one, you're using the wrong tees. If par five, if you can't reach it in three, wrong tees. So everybody tends to... and. and the thing they it's more fun to play shorter tees it's it's quicker and you're using uh all the clubs in the bag instead of hitting driver three wood and wedge to reach a par four um you should be able to use a wedge or nine iron second shots into par fours and the stats that which a lot of people i i've caught up on for a long time and what a lot of people don't make and the television people don't make too much of a noise of is that the average second shot on a par four on the tour is a nine iron hmm. and i think last week they played in mexico was a wedge on right. a par four the average second shot is a wedge now how many joe blow who's a or well, even from a four to a 14 handicap how often is he using a nine iron or a wedge into a par four no. His, his average is, is probably a long iron or, or a, 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 uh, one of those woods a, uh, into the green. And uh, I'm really, uh, well, I'm going to have a meeting with New Zealand Golf tomorrow and I'm going to push hard for shorter courses and, tea, and the players to use tees which complement their game to speed the game up. And, and that will, they'll lower their scores, they'll lower their handicaps and they'll have a lot more fun. Yeah, I mean, on some level, it's almost like the problem is that we watch golf on TV and think that that's supposed to be our experience as an amateur. Yeah. yeah. Well, how would you like to be hitting a nine iron into a majority of the par fours? Yeah, I'd probably have more fun. <laughs> you would. You would, sure. But uh, I, I just don't get it. The the, and uh, I know I've got elderly friends at my home course in Christchurch, 
Um, and they use the blue teas, which is, um, they're all between 70 and 80, or in fact, 80, mid 80s, 85 to 75 to 85. And here they are using the blue teas, which, which are, the course measures, uh, yeah, I know exactly, it measures uh, 6,600 yards, and they can't reach hardly any of the par fours in two. In two let alone hitting a 9-iron or a they, nine what do they second say? shot. What do they say when you say, what are you guys doing? Well, it's their ego. I mean, uh, you right. know, I just, well, I'm not going to use the ladies' tees. Well, that, that's the thing, you see. Oh, I, I, I seriously team. think that golf should be gender neutral. You don't think of men's tees and ladies' tees. And you see, the sad thing is uh, the women are, are the fuck, forgotten uh, class in golf. Who, who, who designs the golf course? Who builds the golf course? Who are they building the golf course for? Men. They forget about ladies. They forget about people who hit the ball a uh, hundred, maybe a hundred and fifty yards. So uh, we we need, and, and I think that some of the architects are, are starting to consider this, and there's going to be more discussion in the future going forward. It's interesting. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no. It's interesting because as I travel around, it seems like in every place outside of America, there is more of a culture of women playing, of mm. women having their own clubs, mm. being competitive within uh, you know, their group. Mm. And uh, the courses are just more, they consider the, mm. uh, the female golfer more. Do, do you experience that as well or is it just... Oh, yeah. No, we're... Um, well, well, I said to... For the game to go forward to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, to, um, you know, to bring the average playing age down, to have more people, oh, to, 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 to not lose members. You see, all, all golf clubs around the world, are, uh, well, the majority, put it that way, are losing members and a lot are closing down. Uh, and, and the reason is some of the, the facts which I'm presenting to you uh, because the the average statistics in the United States, I get a lot of feedback from there. The average male drive tee shot is two hundred yards. Uh, is less is probably really? less than two hundred yards. Really? Now that swing speed is less than ninety mile an hour. Now these guys are up to one hundred and twenty mile an hour or so with three hundred yard tee shots. The average female golfer is less than 150 yards now i could see that so yeah. here here these they're having power threes for ladies you know 160 70 they can't reach them you know it's a wood and a wedge to uh, to reach a power three so i i just hope that the the, the golfing the the organizations the the clubs the memberships the green keepers everybody start producing for tea. Here in New Zealand, I know where we're, um, a lot of the courses are putting in purple tees, uh, which the course is around 4,000 yards total, uh, which you are able, I think there, there is a, a criteria, the ha- I don't much know about the handicap system, but I know I think you've got to have a 3,000, minimum of 3,000 yard golf course for the handicap system to work. Okay. And... Uh, so I've got a uh, put together a um, um, a formula, you might say, um, for having six tees. I think all golf courses. The more tees they have, the golf course is better off. The the more it would be played, the more young kids can play and enjoy. As I say, with purple tees, where uh, about four thousand two hundred yards, and then you go to uh, maybe five thousand yards, five thousand six hundred yards. Now that's all for the for the short hitters, and so you, then you can have your white, blue, and black at uh, between six and seventy-five hundred yards down to sixty-five hundred yards. So uh, I don't think there's enough um, action and um, um, awareness of where the game is going, and and I think the future is in women, more women playing. Um, and more young people playing off shorter tees. What? Uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about golf in New Zealand. Uh, you've uh, 
you know, it's it's a wonderful game that came here a while ago. Hmm. Um, you know a little bit about a place called Dunedin, right? Which mm-hmm. is where we're about to visit. Hmm. Can you can you tell me a little bit about that? I, I, I really hmm. have tried my best not to research too much about it, but I'm curious to hear the connection between the origins of the game in Scotland and kind of hmm. how it how it traveled here. Hmm. Well, the, the uh, Otago province... O-T-A-G-O. <laughs> the Americans give it all kinds of... It's Otago. Uh, and the main city is Dunedin, which um, it's Scottish. It was settled by the Scots from Scotland. And, of course, they brought the game of golf to New Zealand. And uh, the Otago Golf Club uh, at Balmacuan, where you'll no doubt go, uh, is, I think, the, one of the oldest golf courses in New Zealand. Well, no, the oldest clubs. I think they've moved the course to different locations, but it's um, the oldest club. And um, I uh, played in my first New Zealand Open at, uh, at Balmacuan uh, in 1953, uh, which was the year um, I first saw Peter Thompson play the game. And um, so I missed the cut there. And, um, uh, but it was uh, a learning curve, a, a lesson, and an experience. Um, well, my first experience, first experience in anything is always your worst, isn't it? So, <laughs> so it, it was mine. And then, then of course, uh, things turned around the following year, and it became my, one of my best experiences. Uh, beating um, Peter Thompson and uh, Bruce Crampton. Crampton was second and, uh, and Peter Thompson was third. When you, uh, so, okay, so when you were in the, in the 60s and 50s, when you're, mm. when you're looking at golf and learning the mm. game of golf, uh, is it on TV at that point? Or, or oh, no, 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 no. How, how like, are you watching golf? How are you learning the golf swing? Uh, well, I w- probably spent more time, um, w- w- from a learning perspective, um, I had two books. Th- well, yeah, two books. One was by Henry Cotton, uh, who won the Open Championship on three occasions. Uh, the other was Ben Hogan. And as we know, Hogan you know, won all four majors and nine in total. Um, Power Golf was was the book, and it was um, had uh, black and white photographs in Power Golf. I don't think I hardly read a well. I must have read a few words, but I just looked at the pictures in Hogan's book um, inside, and went into my parents' bedroom where they had a big mirror on the, um, the dressing table, and uh, tried to get in the same position as what Hogan did um, in the pictures in Power Golf. Um, Henry Cotton was, um, I well, I, I had the good fortune to play with both. I played uh, on four occasions with um, Hogan and about two or three occasions with Henry Cotton. Um, but he, Henry Cotton, had a very simple golf swing and... Um, uh, and it well illustrated a book on he, he he took a camera with him and 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 his travels he the United States and all over Europe and he played in the Masters on a few occasions and uh, I was fascinated with uh, the stories and the pictures which which Cotton uh, made incidentally I I won the book uh, finishing um, beaten in the final of a. Uh, a mixed uh, with my mother a mixed match play event at my home club in Masterton so uh, um, they those two books gave me an introduction to the game and then in 1954 I started subscribing to Golf World I don't know where Golf World is now out of production the uh, the modern um, um, they went um, everybody goes what do they go uh, Syndicate or well online online online, yeah. online. and um, I have a collection of uh, golf worlds starting in 1954 right through to the end of 2000. Wow! And in fact, virtually my whole career is is on uh, in these um, golf, golf world came out of uh, Pinehurst, North Carolina. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, I've had them all bound, uh, and um, I've got this great collection. So, so I kept up with in, from 1954 when I won the New Zealand Open as an amateur. 
I, uh, I took an interest uh, virtually right away with the international scene and uh, kept up with the uh, the players and uh, of the day and uh, and their performance. So uh, it wasn't until in 1958 I had an opportunity uh, with a friend from Christchurch and his wife. The three of us we we um, travelled to the United States and uh, we bought a Hudson Wasp. Have you heard of a Hudson Wasp? No, what's Na- that? 1952 Hudson Wasp. A car. A car, uh, two door, and we travelled 8,000 miles from. Uh, we bought it in. Uh, San Francisco, and uh, we went all the way from LA down through. Um, in fact, I watched the the Bing Crosby tournament that year in 1958. Uh, watched the Thunderbird in Palm Springs. Watched the Houston Open and uh, at Memorial, where I happened to win. Uh, went to St. Petersburg. Um, oh, I actually played in the Phoenix Open um, as an amateur. Uh, went to St. Petersburg and that was uh, at uh, Phoenix Country Club yeah uh, uh, yes and um, finished uh, leading amateur I have a nice little uh, gold uh, sovereign watch uh, for that Um, and to Miami then up to Augusta I played in Augusta Um, so um, in fact, I played in basically three majors in 1958, uh, the Masters, the British Open, which was at Lytham St. Anne's, and also the Amateur Championship, which was at St. Andrews. Wow. Oh, that was back when they had the amateur. Uh, yeah, that was 1958 as an amateur. Well, I was 22 years of age. And so wow. that, that experience, um, we sold the old Hudson, Hudson. We bought it for $250 in Los Angeles, and I think we... We virtually had to give it away to a wrecker in uh, in New York before we got on the plane to fly to Scotland. <laughs> yeah, I need but, I need to see a picture of this car at some point. I need to look see what it looks like. Uh, yeah, it was a maroon color, and uh, yeah, no, it uh, it was a uh, you know kind of a a back like that. But, uh, oh, kind of like a car from like a uh, a mob movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 1952, right. it was brand new, and we got it six years old for $250. Amazing. <laughs> what what stands out to you? I mean, we're, we're winding down now. What, what what stands out to you of all your experiences in the game of golf is the most fun? Oh, the most fun. Well, obviously, winning is fun, and uh, I had the um, pleasure of winning, well, including partnerships. I won 80 tournaments, uh Five of them were with uh, in team events, and uh, uh, one with um, Amy Alcott. Uh, in fact, the biggest check I ever won uh, was with Amy down in uh, trial in Jamaica when we won uh, Mazda Team Championship, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So uh, that was uh, that was nineteen eighty. I just turned uh, to a se- become a senior player and. Uh, it was a senior event, actually. Um, I think it was in 87, 1987. So okay. That's, uh, uh, so that's, it's fun when you pick up a check for $250,000. And um, uh, it was... Um, so, yes, I, I won a lot of tournaments and uh, a major, and um, which my pride and joy. And so the game has been good to me. And um, I'm... Um, thankful for the support I've had from family and friends and golfers around the world uh, throughout my uh, well I was kicked off and from 1954 and retired in what uh, 2014 or thereabouts so what is that is that a, a 60 odd uh, yeah competitive competitive career yeah hmm. Um, well, I mean that's that's incredible. I think uh, we've we've had a sixty minute interview, so oh, that, so, that, okay. <laughs> so that does that. Do you there any questions you have for me, or or uh, anything that I can answer? No, well, I, I enjoyed the visit and and enjoyed the questions, and uh, it um, no, I hope it. Uh, I'd like to see the end result sometime, and yeah. hope you've got a bit of uh, uh, stuff to work on there, and and yeah, well, you, you know, I. Uh, I think we all would like to see the, the, the grow the game. You know, I'm, I'm at the stage where I want to grow the game. I want to see the game grow. 
uh, and more people, you know, growing into the game because it's a game of a lifetime. Uh, when you can compete for 60 years, uh, like I did, uh, there's no other sport you can do that. Mm-mm. Of course, I had a, a, a innate love of ball games. Um, I was tennis, cricket, um, um, and golf and. Uh, well, I, I like to uh, relate. I've got my farm uh, up in 50 miles, 50 k's out of Christchurch, and in my house I've got a tennis court, a croquet court, uh, a billiard table, a ping pong table, uh, and uh, so I'm a, I'm a ball game freak, you might say. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're just missing bowling, really, and maybe bowling. Yeah. Is bowling uh, big uh, in New Zealand? I've, I've, well, no, never uh, bowling, but uh, petanque, you know. Petanque, oh, yeah, French, yes, the French, French game. lawn bowling. I, I love that game. I think that's, that's much more civilized. And the great thing is that little kids can play, mum, yeah. dad, grannies, and uh, can all play. And um, uh, no, it's uh, it's another another ball game, which ping pong is. Um, I love love playing that. Bob, I thank you so much for your time. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, carrying the torch that you, uh, you know, requested to be carried. Okay. So thank you. Well, I enjoyed the visit. Thank you. Thanks a lot.